All right, uh, hey, we are finishing up right now uh, a series we've called Religious IQ, and we've talked about those things which we're just willing to argue about because we say, look, these things are so core to the Christian faith, we're not even willing to agree to disagree on. These things are essential to what we believe. We talked about who is Jesus, what is the Bible, uh, how does a person become a Christian, and then we've gone through several uh, uh, faith systems and just said, okay, let's, let's hold that up to Scripture and see what happens. Today, uh, you and I are going to tackle Catholicism uh, together. Now, here's the thing you need to hear me say straight up from the very beginning. Uh, there, there are a lot of Catholics uh, who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ uh, who are Christians. Uh, because at the end of the day, here's what you need to know. Whether a person is a Catholic or not does not determine whether someone's going to heaven. Uh, whether a person's a Baptist or not, or whether a person's a Methodist or a Lutheran or not, does not determine whether someone's a Christian. That at the very core of this conversation... It all comes down to exactly the same question, and that is, what have you done uh, with Jesus Christ? And have you come to a moment in your life where you've said, look, uh, I know I've done stuff that I shouldn't do. I, I know I've sinned, and I know, you ready, I can't fix my own sin. I can't work hard enough. I can't jump high enough. There's nothing I can do to fix this thing that's broken in me. And so what I am doing is I am believing in a Savior. I'm putting my faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, and I am asking Him personally, through faith, to come into my life and be my Savior and to have a personal relationship with Him. That's the question, and everybody who has done that is a Christian and a follower of Christ, and everybody, no matter what faith system they're part of, who has not done that is not a Christian, and not a follower of Jesus Christ. That is the question uh, that every single individual has got to answer. Here's the thing. Over the last 17 years that you and I have been cornerstone, we have had scores and scores and scores and scores of Catholics come in to our community and say, I was a Catholic for 20 plus years, and I never understood that. I never understood this need to personally choose by faith to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I just, I never got that in the Catholic Church. I'm hearing this for the first time right now. Now, you and I could say, well, maybe that's because the priests aren't being clear enough, and maybe they're not talking enough about this topic. Or, or we could say, well, you know what, maybe it's because within the Catholic Church there's so much ceremony that people are so busy kind of doing the ritual things that they're, they're missing the story behind the ritual. But I'm going to suggest today that it's actually the doctrine of the Catholic Church that muddies these waters, that, that causes confusion about this topic and this idea of having your own personal faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're just going to spend a few moments today just kind of processing and talking that through. And, and guys, here's what you need to know. You and I are not having this conversation so that you can go out and beat somebody over the head with this stuff. I'm not giving this to you so that you can win an argument. I have never seen anybody argued into the kingdom of God. Here's why we're having this conversation. That if you run into a Catholic friend, co-worker, or neighbor, and you say to them, hey, how do you know that you're going to heaven? And they say to you, because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I've asked him into my heart to be my savior, then you need to say to them, blessings to you. That, you've got it. Great. 
But if they can't answer that, answer that question with clarity, if they struggle to give you a reason, or if they give you something other than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then the information that you and I are about to cover together hopefully will give you the tools to have a conversation with your friend and to bring clarity to this topic, that they would come to the realization to the point where they say, this is all about figuring out a Savior who died on a cross and inviting him personally into my heart and into my life, okay? That's the goal, okay? So here we go. We're going to have a conversation about a couple things that you and I uh, would see differently uh, than the Catholic Church, than the doctrine of the Catholic Church. And the first one would simply be this topic. How does somebody become a Christian? How do you actually become a Christian? And here's what you and I would say. You and I would say just what we said so far, that the way a person becomes a Christian is by recognizing that they're a sinner and asking Jesus Christ to be their Savior and to come into their life. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles and here's the thing I'm going to warn you about today. We're going to, we're going to run through your Bibles like crazy. Uh, you're going to want to be sure that everything we're saying today is scripturally based. That is exactly what the Word of God says. So we're going, to, we're going to look at a lot of verses together. I'm going to encourage you when we get to a passage, don't close your Bible. Because one of the ways I'm going to help us navigate today is I'll say, okay, from where we are, go right. And uh, we'll head to the next passage. So here we go. It's John chapter 3. Chances are... Most of us are fairly familiar with this passage. It's probably the most popular passage in all of the Bible. It's John chapter 3. It starts in verse 15. Here's what it says. That everyone who, next word, believes. That everyone who believes in him, talking about Jesus Christ, may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever, next word, believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world, to save the world through him. Whoever, next word, believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not, next word, believe stands condemned already. Okay, so here's, here's the deal. You and I understand and get that the way that a person becomes a Christian is by personally saying, look, I, I'm in on this thing. I believe in Jesus. I believe that He came to earth. I believe that He died for my sins. I believe that He rose again, and I believe that. Catholic doctrine teaches that the way a person becomes a Christian is by being baptized. Matter of fact, if you go to the average Catholic and you say to them, hey, are you a Christian? They will say, well, sure, I know I'm a Christian because I was baptized. Matter of fact, uh, let me read you a couple statements uh, from the Catholic Church about baptism. Uh, here's what it says. This sacrament, baptism, is the door, the door of the church of Christ and the entrance to new life. This is how you get in. This is how you become a Christian. We are reborn from the state of slaves of sin into the freedom of the sons of God. Baptism incorporates us into Christ's metaphysical body and makes us partakers of all the privileges 
flowing from the redemptive act of the church's divine founder. So you get what they're saying in that moment. They're saying, look, when you get baptized, it actually somehow takes what Jesus did on the cross and it gives it to you. Now, here's the part I struggle with in this moment. What we're saying is, is that parents can take their infant child and they can make somehow a decision for their child, for their child to be a Christian. Now, guys, I'm just going to say this. Every one of us in this room that's had teenagers knows I can't even get my teenager to eat the right things, let alone make a decision about God for them. And so now we come to this moment in which we are taking an infant who has absolutely no capacity to believe, and now I am making a decision for them and claiming that somehow that made them a Christian. This is, this is where I think the waters get muddy because, again, when you talk to a Catholic friend and you say to them, hey, how do you know that you're a Christian? The answer is going to come, well, because I was baptized. So here's my question. If you believe in your heart that you're a Christian because your parents baptized you as an infant, when does it occur to you, hey, wait a minute, I need to have my own personal faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not a Christian yet, and I actually need to ask Jesus to forgive my sins and be my personal Savior. When, when does it occur to you that you really haven't believed this for yourself yet? Catholics would uh, then go on to teach that that baptism is actually the door of salvation. In other words, you don't receive all of salvation yet. You simply have entered into salvation, and there's a lot more salvation to still get. And now comes in what the Catholics call the sacraments, which they believe has, you ready? Okay, so big word, efficacious grace. So the idea is that by doing the sacraments, by doing these things, they have the effect, efficacious, they have the effect of giving to you and me the grace of the cross. So the more that you do the sacraments or the more participatory you are in the sacraments, the further you're going to move forward in salvation because each time you participate, so whether that's confession to a priest or whether that's taking communion, then you are receiving more of the grace of the cross, and you are moving further forward in your salvation. Matter of fact, uh, here are the sacraments uh, uh, espoused by the Catholic Church. They are baptism, which we just talked about, confirmation, this is where you have children who go and learn the basic doctrines and then are kind of test on it and then assent to belief. Uh, it's Eucharist or communion. And you need to know that within the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church believes in a thing called transubstantiation, which is simply this. They believe that when you take communion, when the priest prays over it, that the wine literally becomes the blood of Jesus. Not a symbol, the real blood of Jesus. 
It's why you'll see the priest wipe the rim of the cup because God forbid that he would spill the blood of Jesus. And they believe that the wafer literally becomes the flesh of Jesus, not a symbol, the real flesh of Jesus. And that's why when you take the sacrament of communion, you're actually taking Jesus into yourself, and in that moment you're receiving saving grace, and it is making you more saved because it has efficacious, salvific effect upon your life. Penance, uh, that's confession to a priest. When you and I do, then you would become more saved. Uh, anointing of the sick, this is last rites. Holy orders, which is the priesthood. And holy matrimony, uh, each of these sacraments gives you more salvation uh, in your life. Matter of fact, uh, let me read uh, this passage. If anyone saith that the sacraments of the new law are not necessary unto salvation. So in other words, if someone tries to tell you that you can be saved and not do the sacraments, but superfluous, and that without them or without the desire thereof, men may obtain God through faith alone. The grace and justification through all the sacraments are not indeed necessary for every individual. Let him be anathema, cursed, for not believing in the sacraments. So the thought here is that when you get baptized, you start being saved, that as you do each of the sacraments, you, you get more saved, you move further in salvation. When you sin, you would move backwards in salvation, and, and you're constantly in the process of trying to reach the end of salvation by doing the sacraments. Here's what I would show my Catholic friend. This is, this is where I would take him biblically if we were having this conversation. So grab your Bibles. It's, it's Galatians uh, chapter 3, which is going to be to the right in your Bible. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what it says. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? In other words, he says, look, how did you become a Christian? Did you become a Christian by doing things, by following ceremony and by working at things? Or did you become a Christian? Did you receive Jesus Christ and the indwelling Spirit? Did you receive that because you believed in Jesus Christ? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? See, here's, here's what I would ask a Catholic friend. If doing things, if, if following the sacraments, if, if, if doing good works and very religious things, 
are what pleases the heart of God, then why did Jesus struggle so deeply with the Pharisees? Because if you get down to it, those guys were ten times more religious than any of us, and they followed the rules way, way better than us. And my fear is that we have simply exchanged the Old Testament law for a new set of church rules. Having begun by faith, why are we now trying to finish by earning? There's a, a second place uh, that you and I would disagree with Catholic doctrine, and it's about this topic of purgatory. And uh, in case you're not familiar, purgatory is this idea that when you die, uh, you will not be finished yet. You'll, you'll still have some sin in your life that hasn't been taken care of or covered. So what you need to do is you need to go to purgatory and burn off uh, whatever is left. Now, you and I would totally uh, disagree with that. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles again really, really quickly and go with me to 1 John, which is going to be almost to the back of your Bible. 1 John. I'll give you a great clue. If you get to 2 John, you've gone too far. Seminary taught me that. Uh, 1 John, chapter 1. It's verse 9. Here's what it says. If we confess our sins, He, talking about Jesus, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from, next word, all unrighteousness. I wonder what all means. And so you get the moment, you get what Scripture is saying, that in the moment that I confess, hey, look, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all of our sins. Let me read to you the doctrine of the Catholic Church. According to Catholicism, pardon of sins and purification can occur during life, for example, in the sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of penance. However, if this purification is not achieved in life, venial sins can still be purified after death. The specific name gave, given to this purification is purgatory. Purgatory is a cleansing that involves tempor painful temporal punishment associated with the idea of fire, such as associated with the idea of the eternal punishment of hell. The Catholic Church teaches that the fate of those in purgatory can be affected by the actions of those living. Its teaching is based also on the practice of prayer for the dead, mentioned as far back as 2 Maccabees, chapter 12, verses 42 through 46. Here's what I would show my Catholic friend. I take him to Hebrews chapter 10, so turn just a little bit to the left uh, in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. Uh, here's what it says. And by that will... 
You have been made, next word, holy. So you get this, at the moment that I accept Jesus Christ, I am made holy. No more sin. Holy. And by that will, you have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. You ready? Once and for all. So the moment I accept Jesus and my Christ into my life, I've been made holy. Ready? One time for all things. Here would be my question. If Jesus paid for my sins, why am I paying for them a second time in purgatory? And if I'm paying for my sins in purgatory, then who is saving me? Is Jesus saving me? Or am I saving me? There's a third place uh, that, that you and I would agree or disagree uh, with Catholic doctrine, and it's this whole idea of Scripture and the importance of the Bible. Uh, you and I would say that we believe that the Bible uh, is God's Word, that God knew exactly what He was doing when He gave it to us, that it's complete in its form, that, that God didn't forget to add some pieces to it, that God knew everything that we needed to have. Matter of fact, and I won't make you turn there, but in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus simply said, look, Heaven and earth are more likely to pass away than one single stroke of the pen or one letter of what God has given to us would vanish. Jesus affirmed and said, look, I'm just telling you, God told you what you need to know. It, it is the Bible. The Catholic Church would come back and say, well, God wasn't finished with that, and you actually need something supplemental uh, to Scripture. And what you need are the sacred traditions of the church. And so here's, uh, here's what happens. Uh, the Catholic Church then decides on what things should be added in addition uh, to the Bible. Matter of fact, uh, let me read for you here. As a result, the church to whom the transmission and interpretation of revelation is entrusted. Now, get this moment. So, they're saying that the only one who can receive new script or, or more information is the Catholic church. And then, you're ready, the only one who can interpret it is the Catholic church. So, the moment someone looks at their Bible and says, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. I don't see that in Scripture. Their answer is, it doesn't matter. Because the only one who can interpret Scripture is the Catholic Church. As a result, the church to whom the transmission and interpretation of Revelation is entrusted does not derive certainty about all revealed truth from the Holy Scriptures alone. Let me read that again. Does not derive certainty about all revealed truth from the Holy Scriptures alone. Both Scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence.
Now, guys, you, you get how this process went, that what would happen is, is that the Catholic Church would call councils. And at the councils, they would be attended by either bishops and or cardinals and sometimes the mix of the two. And they would bring a teaching before the council. And then they would take a vote as to whether or not this teaching was now going to be new sacred uh, tradition. And so some would vote for and some would vote against. I'm just going to suggest that voting is not a very good way to decide what to add to the Bible. If they had taken a vote when Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, you realize Israel would have voted to stone him. You realize the Sanhedrin voted to crucify Jesus Christ. See, my, my question is this. What happened when you took the vote and some of the cardinals voted against it? Does that mean that God wasn't speaking to those cardinals and they were uninspired? Or but what about the times in Scripture where we know the majority was wrong and it was actually a single man of God who stood up for what was truth? Could that be happening during the vote? And what happens to the moments when the first time you brought that teaching, it was voted down, but years later when that teaching was brought in, it was voted up? Was it uninspired the first time? Or was there a mistake the second time? And, and guys, I'm just going to suggest that voting is probably not the best way to add to Scripture. Matter of fact, here, I'm going to give you a list of some of the things that have been voted in uh, and decided by the councils. Uh, the veneration of Mary. The use of of images within the church. Let me say that again. The use of images in the church. Confession to priests. It was a vote. Transubstantiation, which is what we just talked about, this whole idea that when you take communion, that it's not a picture of Jesus' flesh and blood, that it literally becomes his flesh and blood. That was a vote. Purgatory, last rites, the idea that the Pope can speak directly for God, ec cathedra, and pray in the rosary. And guys, here's the interesting thing, that during those very same councils that voted all of these as being sacred tradition, those very same men also voted for, you ready? The torture of non-Catholics, the Crusades burning of Bibles. I'm just going to suggest that voting is not a real good way to add to Scripture. Matter of fact, uh, here's what I would show uh, my Catholic friend. It's Revelation chapter 22, so it's going to be almost to the very, it is the very end of your Bible. Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, verse 18. Here's what it says. I warn everyone who bears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. 
And if anyone takes words away from this book or prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. You get the impression that God is saying, don't add to this and don't take away. And my question would simply be this. If, if the sacred traditions of the church are so important, how come they're not in the Bible anywhere? How come Jesus in his lifetime didn't participate in them? Uh, why, why, why did Jesus not pray to Mary? Why, why did Jesus never do the rosary or go confess to the priest? How come Jesus didn't have last rites when he died? If they're so crucial to our Christian faith. There's one last place uh, that you and I would push back uh, on Catholic teaching. And it's this whole idea of the place of Mary. You and I would say, look, uh, Mary is a tremendous uh, young woman. I mean, she absolutely chose in the face of all sorts of opposition and criticism to do what God asked her to do in her life but that she would, in essence, be no different than any other follower of Christ who did exactly the same thing. She'd be no different than Peter or Paul or Elijah or Moses, uh, any person who willingly followed God. You wouldn't, you wouldn't put her in some different place, and you surely would not worship her. And yet the Catholic Church teaches that Mary is to be venerated. And, and here's the thing. Catholics struggle to use the word worship, and instead they use this word veneration. But here's the deal. If you pray to someone, if you sing hymns to someone, if you bow down to their image, that's worship. And I'm just going to tell you, that I am not going to pray to anybody. I am not going to sing hymns to anybody. And I am not going to bow down to anyone except my Savior, Jesus Christ. Let, let me read this for you real quick. It says, uh, The church exhorts her children not only to honor the Blessed Virgin, but also to invoke her intercession. Now, Mary has never forfeited in heaven the title Mother of Jesus. She is still his mother, and while adoring him as her God, she still retains her maternal relations, and he exercises toward her that loving willingness to grant her request, which the best of sons entertain for the best of mothers. So you get what they're suggesting in this moment is simply this. Look, if you really have something that you need... The best way to do this is to pray to Mary that she would then ask Jesus on your behalf because since Mary is his mother, she will, he will have a hard time refusing her just like any good son has a hard time refusing his mother. Now, guys, I'm, are we suggesting that Jesus doesn't know what I need? that he needs somebody to whisper in his ear and make it clearer. Are we suggesting that Jesus would know what I need 
but he would be stingy about it and not give it to me. And so he needs his mother to twist his arm. I don't get it. If I have the opportunity to talk directly to my Lord and I truly believe that he loves me and wants the best for me, why would I ever pray to anyone else? Catholic Church goes on to say this, even God is subject to Mary. I, uh, I thought about bringing a statue of Mary in here today. Here's what I thought. I thought if I did that, that it would cause such a visceral reaction. I, th I thought all of us would just go, oh, whoa, 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 that's, that's just, that's over the top. I mean, that you, Lynn, would, would bring an image, a statue that people bow down and worship to, and that you would bring that in the house of God. I thought we would just, you know, immediately go, oh. And I couldn't do it. I wasn't going to bring anything in here that other people mistakenly bow down and worship because it has no place in here. Here's, here's where I would show my Catholic friend. I would take him to Romans. If you've lost your way, Romans is at the very back and you go to the left. It's Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Here's what it says. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator. You, you get the scripture is pretty clear. Uh, you, and, you and I are to worship God alone, that, that you and I can't worship our cars, and we can't worship our homes because those are, those are created things, and, and that, would, that would be worshiping a false god. You, you and I can't worship animals because they're created things. You and I cannot worship people because they are created things and never worthy of worship. Only the Creator is. I take him to Exodus chapter 20. It's going to be to the left in your Bible. Matter of fact, it's the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 20. This is actually uh, the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 4. Here's what it says. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Guys, I, 
I, I don't know how much more clear it can be that you and I would never offer, whether you want to call it veneration or whether you want to call it worship, to anyone. I promise you, if you could have gone to Mary while she was living and said to her, Mary, guess what? Someday, someday people are going to pray to you. Someday people are going to sing hymns to you. I promise you this is what Mary would have said. Oh, no. Pray and worship my Savior, not me. If you're here today and you're still trying to kind of figure out the whole Catholic thing and you're going, I'm just going to say, I want to say this again. There are Catholics who know Jesus Christ and are Christians. I'm not not suggesting that they don't for any moment. I'm simply saying there's also lots of room for confusion and this whole idea of working my way, of doing things that add to my salvation, that make me saved. And if, and if, you've struggled with this whole idea of being religious enough for God and doing enough for God that you would someday not have to spend much time in purgatory. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 simply says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And guys, look, if it's a gift... You don't have to earn it. If you earn heaven, it's no longer a gift. It's your salary. And I would just encourage you today that if something's gone on and some light has clicked for you, that when we get done with the service in just a few minutes, that instead of heading that direction, that you would head to the front of the church and we've got counselors who will sit down with you and explain to you what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because you chose to believe on him. Let's bow our heads. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we, uh, we simply come before you this morning. And, and our heart has not been to be argumentative. And, and our, our heart hasn't been to prove a point. It's been to bring clarity. And to simply say that when you get right down to this at the end of the day, this is not about becoming a religious person. And it's not about following traditions and rules of some church. That that the core question has always been, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Have you had a moment in which you've acknowledged your sin and you've asked him as a savior to come into your life and take away all your sin. And God, I just pray for anybody in this room today, whether Catholic or Protestant or whatever, that if they haven't personally made that decision, that today would be the day of salvation for them. Today would be the day they'd say, look, I'm in and I believe this stuff. I've spent a lifetime of being religious. I want a relationship with my God. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.